Hi, and welcome to episode 17 of Rock Talk for Industrial Components. My name is Bill Martin. And I'm Paul Seid. Hey, Bill, before we get started today, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, the person that kind of gave us the inspiration for today's topic, and that's Mayo Hemmingson. He's a product manager focused on disconnects in our safety sensing and industrial component business at Rockwell. So thanks, Mayo. Yeah, thanks, Mayo. So what what did Mayo have for us to talk about today? I'm glad you asked, Bill. We are going to cover safe and sound, and it it's really... Um, how does someone know it's really safe to enter into an electrical enclosure? You know, I was thinking about this theme today. One song came to mind by Capital Cities, but when I was searching for that song, there's actually five other artists that also have the same song called Safe and Sound. One was Godsmack, one was um, a country western song. I was surprised how many Safe and Sounds there were for this topic. So think in your mind of the Capital Cities song. Man, I'm going to have to go listen to that one because I don't even know what that is. I'll have to check it out after the show. <laughs> You'll recognize it. They have a nice horn section in there. But anyhow, so Paul, did you have to wear, ever wear a moon suit? I know you're in the in the Navy and doing uh, electrical maintenance and stuff, but did you have to, have to put on that that arc flash suit ever? Yeah, I think the the I don't want to I don't want to throw company names out there, but um, doing a if you know what Tyvek is, it's what you wrap houses in to provide that uh, barrier proof well to go into that that line because of the chemicals you have to wear you have to wear a suit fire retardant no mix a certain rating and everything because it's it's a explosive environment but yeah pretty familiar with donning the suit yeah it's not fun (laughs) i've had to wear it a couple times when i went to some uh, customer visits and so it's a you know it's a large problem for uh our customers especially a maintenance personnel who who work on electrical enclosures if they're not for sure knowing a enclosure is safe, they got to put on the moon suit, which is not fun, especially when it's 100 degrees outside or within the plant and, you know, put this thing on and your mask fogs up and, you know, what's safer? Are you uh, being protected from an arc flash or are you not being able to see what you're poking at to maintain an enclosure? So how does a maintenance guy really know when it's safe to open an enclosure so he doesn't have to wear that most uncomfortable moon suit? I don't know. I'm waiting for you to tell me because I don't want to put the suit back on. So hopefully you give me a good answer here. Well, hopefully our guest can help us out. She has some interesting solutions. Oh, hey, that's a great segue because I was waiting for you to introduce her, Bill, and that's up to me. So uh, let me get rolling here. <laughs> so hi, everyone. We have Rachel joining us who works for Panduit. Rachel, please introduce yourself. Hi. So my name is Rachel Bagaris. I'm a business development manager with Panduit. And I work with the prevention through design products. So you may know Panduit as a physical infrastructure and we provide electrical and networking products, but there's also a part of Panduit that deals with electrical safety. So that's where I specialize and I'm looking at ways that you can take activities that, you know, as you guys are talking about the moon suits and the electrical PPE, and instead of having to rely on that, how are there ways that we can prevent people from being exposed from those hazards so they don't need to wear PPE, how can we look at design solutions to address those? Uh, Sounds great, Rachel. You sound like the perfect guest for this topic. I'm very excited to talk about electrical safety. It is is one of my favorite topics, so thanks for having me. 
Oh yeah, no problem. So Rachel, is there a, really an official procedure for uh, an electrician to follow? I thought there were a couple out there, whether it's in the, the U.S. or even some other global ones. But before a electrical maintenance person can enter an enclosure and not having to have to wear the most uncomfortable moons, is there an official procedure that he needs to follow before he opens up that cabinet door? Yeah, so there are different standards and, and procedures and best practices. And one of the ones that, that we think of most often when it comes to, you know, an electrician or electrical worker who is actually going to be doing work on equipment is they need to follow the process to establish an electrically safe work condition. So this consists of, you know, actually isolating the power. So you're de-energizing the equipment. You're applying locks and tags for a lockout tagout procedure to make sure that the equipment doesn't become re-energized. And then you also have to provide a verification step. So the verification step is if you can think about, sometimes you may have heard the live dead live test or zero energy verification. So it's something that you do in addition to lockout tagout to make sure that, you know, because in our facilities, if you look at electrical equipment, oftentimes, you know, a lot of it looks the same. It may be confusing as to where the sources are. So you always want to test before you get in there and do any work. So the processes for establishing electrically safe work condition are described in NFPA 70E in the U.S. and CSA Z462 in Canada. That's good information and that's great to know, Rachel. So when you talk about indication, could you just use a pilot light and a control transformer that's kind of connected to incoming power that would, you know, be lit when it's energized and then go off after it drains the energy? Yeah, so after you've done your lockout takeout and you're going to do the verification or that live dead live test, there's actually a, a procedure around that. So you want to choose a test instrument, and typically it's a, either a handheld voltage detector or a digital multimeter, and you want to test it on a known voltage source to make sure that it's working. So that's why, of course, you're contacting live voltage, so you want to be wearing PPE for that. Then you go into the equipment and you test face-to-face -face and face-to-ground. And then after that, you go back to a known source and retest your meter or your test instrument to make sure it's working again. And that entire process, you want to make sure that as you're stepping through the, the process, you need to, to test to verify absence of voltage because you never want to assume that it's de-energized. And the thing is, Paul, when you talk about using pilot lights, you know, electricity is, is tricky. We can't see it. So just because the, the light is out does not necessarily guarantee that it's safe to enter. There are a number of reasons why a pilot light might be out, but your equipment could still be energized. So for instance, those voltage presence indicators sometimes can fail. Maybe the LED or the light has burned out. You might have a bad installation, maybe the connection between the, the pilot light and the source conductor failed, or the device itself went bad. With this in mind, that led us at Panduit to take a look at how we could maybe improve this process, and that led to the process of developing an absence of voltage tester. That sounds relatively new. I know I'll call it my lost summer, but I spent a summer doing electrician work, and we had this little yellow device, and it would basically did what you're talking about. You would just hold it close, but it would only basically detect presence of voltage, not current flow. But it sounds like you have products that actually do voltage presence and absence 
Are those new? Because I, I haven't really heard of those terms before. Yeah, so absence of voltage testers are a relatively new product. The technology has been around for a few years. It first came out in the UL standard. It's in UL 1436. In the sixth edition, I believe that was in fall of 2016. So unlike the portable testers, absence of voltage testers are actually permanently mounted. So they're installed in the equipment and then they are hardwired to the test point. So one of the things that is unique about them as opposed to like a, a pilot light where they're giving you voltage presence with the absence of voltage tester, there are several requirements that the product has to meet. So first it has to have an installation test to give you confirmation that at the time it's running the absence of voltage test, you do have good contact with the point in the circuit or the conductor that you're testing for voltage. Because unlike voltage presence, you know, if you're connected, you're going to see it. But with absence of voltage, if you're not connected, you're going to read zero volts. So we want to make sure that before you're giving any signal, that we are confident that there is good contact and so that installation is valid. Another thing that we're looking for with absence of voltage testers is that you have that active indication. So rather than just assuming that it's de-energized because, you know, the indicator went out, with absence of voltage testers, you actually have a um, green light that turns on only when the absence of voltage has been guaranteed. So the active indicator combined with the installation test. And then there's also a level of functional safety built in for the reliability of the product to make sure that, you know, anytime that green light goes on to, to verify absence of voltage, it is a very reliable signal. So the idea with absence of voltage testers, with Paul, and unlike those portable testers, you have the ability to test for absence of voltage now because it's hardwired in before you even open the door and cover. So this is a big step in reducing the exposure that electrical workers might have. And also because it's an automated process, when it goes through the test sequence, basically you push a button on the indicator, it runs through the test, and then it shows you the result. So that alleviates a lot of the opportunities for human error in the testing process. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because with that, portable device like I was talking about, your fingers or your hand is within, you know, a couple of inches from the source, even to test it. So you are sort of putting yourself in harm a little bit if there is voltage source there. So that's a great point that it can do the work without you getting anywhere close to the source or the, the potential hazard. Absolutely. And that's, that's a big part of the, you know, taking a look at some of these problems and these processes that we've been doing for years and years one way. And with that prevention through design lens saying, you know, how can I do this in a way that reduces my exposure to the hazards? You know, Rachel, it sounds like when you describe the, uh, the NFPA 70E procedure, you know, it's about a 10-step procedure. Does that sound about right? I think, yeah, there's there's several steps, maybe like seven or eight, but yeah, it's, that's that's the other thing too, Bill. It's not just, you know, you do this one thing and you're okay. You have to go through all the steps and even the step of verifying absence of voltage is, is there's multiple sub steps in that one step of the process. Jump over one, skip it and <laughs> might be a 
bad thing. So it sounds like the absence of voltage solution that, that Panduit held is really, it kind of automates that whole seven to 10 step process that the NFPA is defined. It, it definitely automates it. And with that automation, you also gain some significant efficiencies. So, you know, from the time you push the button to run the test and it goes through all the safety checks, it does the test, the tester, it verifies that using an, an internally known voltage source, it's verifying the installation, it's testing for AC and DC voltage phase to phase and phase to ground. That whole process from pressing the button to getting the result takes about 10 seconds as opposed to if you can imagine how long it takes to actually do the risk assessment, figure out how much PPE you need, go find your test instrument, test it on a known source, run through the test, go back and test it again, your meter on an unknown source. We know that that is quite time consuming. So the automation really does add efficiency. I know it takes me forever just to put on the electrical gloves, but and get the, the rubber <laughs> ones, you make sure there's not a hole in them. You pop on the big leather ones on top of that. I was going to say at least an hour savings for trying to find out where you left that little device that tests the voltage for you. It's in some bags. Right. <laughs> that sounds great, Rachel. You know, the solutions that, that Panduit have, so are they just, you know, you kind of mount them in a panel and, and that's that. You, you push the, the button to go through the procedure and it lets you know if it's, if it's safe or not. Or can they be actually integrated to an automation system somehow? Yeah, it's a good question, Bill. So the answer is both. You can use the absence of voltage tester as a standalone product. So you can just wire it into your test point and just activate it whenever you want to test. Or the the very safe absence of voltage tester from Panduit actually has solid state contacts on it. So you can use these to integrate into your control system or your safety automation system. You have a lot of, of options for integration. We're also looking at some future versions where, in addition to the solid-state contacts, you'll be able to connect through Ethernet. So you'll be able to get even more data from the absence of voltage tester into your system. Hey, Rachel, being this is a new device, do you have specific areas where it's gaining adoption quicker or you know, key applications that you target or where people find the need to actually have this wired in to their application? Yeah, so that's a good question. We're seeing adoption across all industries. This is very popular in heavy industries, very safety conscious industries, such as oil and gas, pulp and paper, mining. There are also a lot of applications in utilities, everything from automotive facilities, even data centers and theme parks. Test labs are deploying these basically anywhere, you know, regardless of the industry you're in, electricity always has the same hazard. So it's something that is is suitable really across the board. One of the things that we're seeing, going back to Bill's question about how this can be integrated, in addition to now just running the test, if you're able to integrate this and and use the, you know, is voltage present or not, uh, yes or no, into your system logic, you can add a lot more sophistication. So one of the examples would be we have some customers who are combining absence of voltage testers with an electronic lock. So now instead of just pushing the button, waiting for the green light and opening the enclosure, you can make sure that before that closure is allowed to open, that lock won't release until the absence of voltage has been verified. So it's just another step in the process to provide safeguards. Also, because those 
contacts that I mentioned change state. Whenever the absence of voltage indicator goes on, you can use this to timestamp or log a result. So if you want to audit that your process is actually being followed, you have that ability to go in and see, yes, the absence of voltage test was successfully completed at you know whatever time if you have that integration. So Rachel, can the absence of voltage device, does it just look at AC signals, like a three-phase power system, or can you use it with DC systems? So it works with AC and DC. So anytime you're running the test, it's testing for absence of, of any voltage. So if AC is present or DC is present, it, it's going to detect that. There are a lot of applications specifically around DC voltage. So if, if you think about some of the end-of-the-line product testing, if you have a, a product that has some stored energy in it, you power it up to run the test, you know, once you remove the power, it's not automatically safe to enter that area, right? You have to wait for it to discharge to a safe level. So one of the applications is we see people using absence of voltage testers. And now, because you can test without exposure, you don't need to wait to call an electrician. You could have a production associate run the test or tie it into maybe the test cell is in a, a gated or an enclosed area. So you're going to wait for the production associate to test for absence of voltage. And then when the absence of voltage is confirmed, that releases the lock. So now you can enter the area and remove the product from the test. Oh yeah, I think I remember uh, our application at safety application engineers talk about this, where he was using a, a robotic cell, potentially. Okay. Yeah, I think he was trying to use it to see, um, you know, before a maintenance person could actually walk into the, to the robotic cell. You know, one way to guarantee that a robot is not gonna swing around and hit you is that the, the power for it's officially removed. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, we also see these used a lot in even test labs, right? Particularly if you have a lot of DC energy, even though the power is removed, it still takes time for that to bleed down to a safe level. There's so many applications for this across the board. It really is pretty exciting. So Paul, actually, I saw one of these in the clock tower on the fifth floor. It's actually one of your products was a large enclosed soft start SMC50 with a, a bypass. It's kind of neat. There's actually two of the, of the VeriSafe devices in this panel. There's a sequester panel and then the main panel where the contact or the SMC are. And yeah, it's pretty neat. If you wanted to actually go into the SMC side of the sequester panel, it, you would push the button, it'd go through its little process, and then you knew it was safe enough to, uh, to open up the enclosure to either work on that contactor or, or SMC50. I'll have to show you sometime if I haven't shown it to you yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. You may have to walk down a few flights though. That's okay. That's the barrier. I have to convince myself to want to do that many steps, but uh, sure, we'll check it out. So hey, Rachel, can you talk in terms of just panel safety and what kind of trends we all might be in store for? What's going on overall in that area of industrial automation? Sure. So, you know, one area that I think is important, especially as we're seeing a greater emphasis on things becoming connected and the blending of the IT and the OT spaces is you really have to remember that safety and, and particularly electrical safety as well is for everybody. So where traditionally maybe your electrical enclosures were in a dedicated room or off to one side of the plant floor where only electricians went because of the types of components that are inside these enclosures. 
maybe there's somebody who's not an electrical worker who needs to go in and update some firmware or do some programming or perform other types of maintenance. So it's really important to keep in mind that specifically when we talk about electrical safety, we're remembering to include the non-electrical workers as well. You know, you mentioned this is just for the electrical side, but I wonder if this could be actually expanded out for the uh, authentication side. You know, are, are you the appropriate person that should be actually entering this enclosure? Not only is it safe, but are you the right person to do this? Do you see any trends like that coming in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, and it, it's kind of a, a blending of the safety and, and the security. But now, in addition to is the panel de-energized, you can also say, am I authorized or do I have the right training to enter this panel? And should I be entering a, a different panel based on a, a work order? So I think the authentication piece and adding in credentials is something that can really take that access control to the next level. And that's something that we'll start to see blending in the future. And I think that's important too. And you know, another trend that we're seeing is people want to get as much information as you can while keeping the doors closed. Because if, if you keep the doors closed, you're keeping a barrier from those electrical hazards. So, so that's another thing. How, how can you get some of that information remotely in a safe manner? So I think you'll also see some blending some of the other monitoring type devices. And we think about it with an absence of voltage tester, since you're already hardwired into you know, each phase and ground, you sh you'll be able to get some additional data out of that connection as well. Sounds like, Paul, we should make a safe handle. How cool would that be? We could have a talk to Rachel's product. No, it's very cool. I'm curious, Rachel, how does, it, how does authentication work in practice, I mean, do you see like three wheels on a, on a door locking device where you got to put a combination in? Do you think it's going to be you know, through software where you put a code in kind of like, um, um, you know, two factor authentication works today in computers? How, how will that get deployed in your opinion? Right now, the technology is, is really changing rapidly in that space. There are things that are pretty ambiguous. Like if you think about, you know, swiping your badge every time you enter a secure room or go into a building, you can move that to the control panel level or to your electrical enclosures. So maybe it's a badge reader, maybe it's some type of biometric. It could be entering a code. It really just depends on how much security you need and what options you have, how connected are you? Are you on a network where you can get those credentials read or is it something that's a little less low tech where you're, you're entering a code. Obviously, the level of security that the application requires would dictate some of that, but there's certainly a lot of ways that could be implemented. So to be determined is my takeaway. It would be pretty cool if you had to do a, just imagine doing a retinal scan to get into a, a case packer. That would be pretty interesting. Maybe our 140G handle can uh, read your eye or take a thumbprint from you. That would be pretty cool. And then also just think about, you know, some of the unique challenges that you have on the plant floor, right? If you're wearing safety glasses or if you're wearing your gloves, like do, do some of the biometrics work? So you also have to consider the environment that you're in and, and the other PPE that you have just for being in the, an industrial site and, and how that would be compatible. All right. I'm going to see if I can come out with a smart handle, Paul. All right. That'd be fun. Sounds good. 
Hey, Rachel, if our listeners want to learn more about just electrical panel safety or more about Panduit and what solutions you're providing in that area, where would they go? Sure. So Panduit is a Rockwell Automation technology partner. So you can find us at all the Rockwell events, such as Automation Fair, the Rockwell Automation's on the move. We also have an innovation center in Tinley Park, where we're always building different demos, showcasing some of the absence voltage tester technology. So if you're in the area, you can contact your Panduit rep and we could set up a, a visit that way. But also definitely would encourage you to look at our website and you can find that at www.panduit.com slash Verisafe. And you can find a ton of information about absence of voltage testers and electrical safety. That sounds great. Great to have you on. It's interesting. I learn something every time, even if it's something I think I know something <laughs> about, but you got to answer the ultimate last question. We ask all of our guests, what question does everyone want to know about that Bill and I just didn't even know to ask? I think that one thing to, to keep in mind is that whenever you're doing anything related to accessing a panel or, or electrical work that you want to think about risk. So make sure that you're always doing a risk assessment. And just because it's a process that you're familiar with doesn't mean something's low risk. So you probably see people putting on the PPE and maybe they're going into the panels multiple times a day or multiple times a shift. So whether you're doing it second time or the 200th time, there's still that same amount of risk. So you need to treat the process with respect. And, you know, I think the biggest trap that people fall into is not performing these tests. So I think the one thing I'd emphasize is always de-energize and always verify. So the absence voltage testers are a, a great tool for verifying safely and, and quickly without having all that extra exposure. Those are some great words of wisdom, Rachel. Well, thank you, Bill and Paul. It was, it was great to uh, be on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on as our, as our guest speaker today. You know, this topic comes up pretty often and uh, it was great that we could find you and have you be on a guest. Yeah, Rachel, great topic. Really appreciate all the information you shared with us. So thank you. I appreciate it, guys. So Paul, what's, what's going to be our next topic? You know, it looks like we're out of the safety thing and I forgot to wish you happy new year, Bill, even though it's February, we, we kind of took that hiatus after auto fair and this is our first recording of the new year for rock talk. So yeah. Welcome to 2022. Thank you, Paul. Happy New Year to you, too. And you, too, Rachel. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, Rachel. <laughs> All right, so back to your question. What are we doing next? It's going to be e-stop the presses. And why we're going to talk about this is, interestingly enough, e-stops have been along and have for quite some time, and they actually predate machine safety as a technology. And because of that, a lot of questions come up around the deployment of e-stops and more importantly, how they do or don't interact with a machine safety system. So it should be a great topic. Another interesting point for this topic is we are inviting back Jonathan Johnson for a third podcast. So he's actually going to be performing the hat trick right here live on Rock Talk for uh, episode 18. Oh, that's awesome, Paul. Yep. Looking forward to it. Me too. And uh, with that, I'd like to say thanks for listening. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocky Cast, and Apple Podcast. 
you know, like us and feel free to drop us an email if you have an idea for a topic. We're, we'd love to uh, hear your suggestions and be more than happy to uh, pull another topic in that's of interest to our audience. So until next time, we'll see you then.